Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's not much fun living next door to a liquefied natural gas terminal, but you know what's less fun? Being out of a job. Today on Parts Per Billion, we talk about the bad options faced by communities in the Gulf Coast, where exporting natural gas seems to be the wave of the future. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So this is yet another story about the uneasy relationship between the fossil fuel industry and the communities in which it operates. And the community in this case is southwestern Louisiana. This part of the country has been home to a ton of energy infrastructure for a while now, but it could be seeing a lot more facilities pop up in the very near future, and those facilities are LNG terminals. LNG, of course, stands for liquefied natural gas. These are places where natural gas gets cooled to super low temperatures, just how low we'll get to in a second, and that allows it to be exported across the globe. The Biden administration is not the biggest fan of the fossil fuel industry, but it's granted approval to potentially double or even triple the number of these new LNG terminals along the Gulf Coast, and it's easy to see why. Regardless of what you think about the impact fossil fuels have on the environment, Exporting natural gas means helping to reduce other countries' reliance on Russian gas. But what does this mean for the Gulf Coast communities that rely on the fossil fuel industry for jobs? Bloomberg Law reporter Daniel Moore traveled down to southwest Louisiana to talk to the industry and to the folks in these communities. And what he found was, well, a whole lot of ambivalence. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I asked Daniel to get me up to speed on exactly how LNG is made. Yeah, so natural gas, when it's drilled, when it moves through our country's pipeline system, is in gaseous form, of course, as the name implies. But um, when it reaches the terminal, it is piped in into this LNG terminal and is basically refrigerated uh, to negative 260 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about as cold as the dark side of the moon. So it is very, very cold. I'll say. So that temperature renders the gas a liquid. Um, It's compressed by about 600 times, so it's really, really compressed, turns it into a liquid, it is stored for a period of time, then it is put on a vessel, shipped around the world in liquid form, um, and then it is shipped to another country where it is regasified, put into that country's pipeline system. And that's the whole point of of liquefying the natural gas is that it makes it possible to send elsewhere, you know, not just across the country, but also to any place in the world, right? Correct, Yeah. yeah. And that could be a good thing environmentally because, as we've talked about on this podcast before, natural gas has a much lower carbon footprint uh, than coal, which is what 
is used to fuel a lot of power plants. In fact, here is Brian Lloyd. He's with uh, Sempra, a company that makes LNG terminals. The, the United States has reduced greenhouse gas emissions more than any other country on the planet. And it's, it's done that through two primary things. One is switching from coal to gas and power generation and other applications, industrial applications as well, and then adding renewables. The majority of those carbon reductions actually come from this coal to gas switching kind of piece. We really do view LNG as the way to export what, what, what I know some have called, I certainly have called, the world's most successfully demonstrated greenhouse gas mitigation policy tool. So we just heard him talk about uh, how great it is for the environment because it produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions, which I gather is true, but better does not necessarily mean good, right? Can you get into to that? I mean, it, we're still, it's still producing greenhouse gases. Right. Everything is on a sliding scale, right? So natural gas, um, Brian is repeating this, the core argument that the gas industry has made for several years now, which is that it's largely displacing dirtier burning fuels like coal and oil in the United States and around the world. But throughout the system, you still have to drill for gas. You have to transport via pipeline. You have to build more compressor stations to move the gas. And all along the way, there can be leaks of methane, which is the primary component of natural gas. And methane is a much, much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide is. And so while you have, while it may be true that at a power plant facility, burning natural gas will cause fewer air emission impacts than burning coal, you do have to take into account the entire system. And then we're just talking about climate. You know, there are other environmental impacts besides greenhouse gases. Uh, you know, there's air pollution, which really affects the people who live near these facilities and which we'll, we'll meet a few of those in just a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there are a few different concerns around LNG itself, which is that, one, it it consumes so much energy that they actually have to build often a power plant on site that burns natural gas, of course. So you have kind of natural gas burning going on to produce the electricity to refrigerate the natural gas. You also have concerns about um, flaring, which would be venting off, you know, gases um, to prevent explosions or to prevent um, anything else operationally from happening at the plant that would that would cause harm to the plant. So they often vent these refrigerant gases off. They, they vent carbon dioxide. They vent methane. Um, and that's a big concern if you're living nearby. I mean, that causes you know, air in, air quality impacts, and obviously there's a big torch um, visually right next to your property if that happens. So there, there are local concerns around LNG as well. Well, that said, uh, you had an, a pretty uh, eye-catching map in your story that you, you uh, just published on this that showed the locations of all of the LNG terminals that are currently built on the Gulf Coast and then uh, all of the LNG terminals that are approved or waiting approval uh, from the federal government. And it's like four or five times more. Like they, the, the amount of these facilities that are going to be built is so much higher than are currently there. What's going on here? I mean, it seems like this has got to be a concerted effort from the Biden administration to build more of these terminals, right? Mm-hmm. This actually goes back to fracking, which is the drilling technique that unlocked all this natural gas. And this goes back to probably about the mid-2000s when fracking started to unlock a lot of this natural gas. This was cheap, abundant supplies of fuel. Um, it caused a lot of U.S. utilities to switch from coal to gas and thereby lower emissions from the power sector. And, it, and fracking and natural gas has kind of had 
this bipartisan support from lawmakers from multiple presidential administrations. Uh, fracking played out during the Obama administration originally. And so the industry, um, largely from these market forces, started looking abroad, started looking to export this gas because we had so much of it. In fact, a lot of these export terminals were built as import terminals to begin with, and they just flipped it to exporting. I think one of the people that you spoke to who works in the LNG industry said about that, we got it so wrong that we got it right. Yeah, that was Brian. Um, and, and Brian's point was market forces created this ocean of natural gas. It was cheap. For policymakers, um, it was it was hard to argue against something that was cutting power sector emissions and was affordable. And a lot of these terminals were approved under the prior administration. I think there are about 14 right now that have been approved and are just waiting to be built. Um, and there are another seven proposed to um, federal regulators under the Biden administration. But to your point, uh, the Biden administration is is walking a tightrope between um, further entrenching uh, gas and fossil fuels, which you know a lot of their supporters don't don't want, uh, versus energy security and the fact that our energy system right now is depends a lot on natural gas to say nothing of, of Europe and the situation there. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large-sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. 
making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. But you went down to Louisiana and you visited a few of these terminals and you talked to people who live near them. And let's hear from one of those. Uh, this is John Allaire. He uh, lives next to one of these torches that you just uh, described. You can't operate like that. That's burning money. You know? You, you see how much natural gas it takes to burn that flare? That's all natural gas plus liquids and pollutants that are heavier hydrocarbons is what I'm saying. That... Uh, are being burnt. I mean, that's they burn enough in the last three weeks to fuel the whole city of Lake Charles for a year. I get the sense that living next to an LNG terminal is not great. Um, can you tell me more about what it was uh, it was like and what the people who you spoke to what their their lives are like? Yeah, um, it's definitely generates some different perspectives. So for John, he was right across the river from an LNG terminal that just started operating a few weeks ago um, at the time I talked to him. And it was flaring all the time. Um, And that isn't something that usually happens, as I understand it, at LNG terminals. But because this had just started, um, perhaps they were having some operational difficulties. Um, In fact, the state suggested that there were some operational issues as they were starting up and had to flare a lot of gas. And so at night, this flare was lighting up the coastline. I mean, there's not a lot of population around that terminal and there's not a lot of light pollution or anything like that. So it was a very stark thing to have this this torch lighting up the night sky. Um, and for people like John who moved to that area for, you know, the wetlands and kind of the wildlife and bird watching, having something like that can be a problem. And also uh, you know, John is very concerned about that paving over habitat in that area as well. And so there's another LNG terminal proposed directly next to him on his side of the river, and he's very concerned about you know his property getting flooded during hurricanes and you know slowly watching the ocean come onto his property and destroy this habitat, uh, and that's that's one of his concerns. Yeah, well, and you know what? It just occurred to me. You know, I earlier said you know that living next to an LNG terminal is not great, and from John's perspective, uh, it certainly isn't. But actually, you know, another thing that I'm realizing from your story is that for a lot of people, it is because LNG terminals provide a lot of jobs. And this is a part of the country, you know, we're talking about the Gulf Coast that has been devastated by natural disasters after natural disasters. So, you know, maybe I spoke too soon. Maybe this is an economic lifeline. Can you talk about that sort of push and pull where people are concerned about the environmental impacts, but also are you know, glad that they have this economic engine in their their community? Yeah, that's the other perspective. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to go to this part of the country specifically, because you have these hurricanes that have rolled in um, over and over again. And 
a community like Cameron or like Charles is still rebuilding <laughs> two years later following following the most recent round of hurricanes. And a lot of people in Cameron um, that had their restaurants or homes destroyed or motels or hotels see LNG, see this plant that has just started up there um, as a lifeline for the community. Um, one of the people I spoke with was running a food truck, and he had his restaurant destroyed two years ago, and he was... Uh, fielding a, a very busy lunchtime crowd of LNG workers and actually going into the plant and delivering these catered lunches. And his words were, uh, the only thing keeping us alive is the LNG. So people have very different perspectives. And if you view it as an economic development measure to provide dollars to the community or provide jobs, um, it's a very powerful argument. Yeah. yeah. I think that one of the people that you spoke to that summarizes this really well is James Hyatt. He's an environmental activist, but also uh, used to work in the oil and gas industry. And he really talked about the ambivalence there that, you know, that this is maybe not good for the community in one sense, but in the other sense, it's inevitable. This is going to happen. So let's hear from him. And I should say you spoke to him in a coffee shop where, because it's Louisiana, of course, they're going to be playing some jazz music. Um, and that's the same, I think, for most people here. It's not that they love oil and gas. They love the paycheck, the time off, the ability to spend with their family. And and we still drive cars. So until we get to the other side of this where we don't need that fuel, that, I guess that's the thing. So so the industry that's here is going to probably be here for a while or until we, you know, while we're transitioning and shifting. What we don't need is to build out seven more facilities to export this gas. So to put a sort of, to put a big bow on this, I guess, um, it seems like a very ambivalent, complicated situation, but it seems like it's moving in one direction. You know, you have the U.S. exporting, wanting to export more natural gas, and especially given what happened in the Ukraine earlier this year, you know, when sanctions on Russia and sanctions on Russian energy, the demand for U.S. exports of natural gas is only going in one direction. Do you feel like there's any way that the community here, the environmental activists that want to stop this from happening, can, given the that all the economic signals are pushing in the opposite direction? Yeah, it's definitely an uphill battle, and James talked about that quite a bit. Um, he's a former oil refinery worker actually in Lake Charles and has a lot of friends who still work in the industry. A lot of those workers see LNG as a cleaner job compared to, again, going back to kind of the sliding scale of, of energy, compared to an oil refinery. Um, in a lot of ways, it can be. And so to start pushing that boulder up a hill, to start pushing back against an industry that is so entrenched in this region of the country certainly around the Houston area in southwest Louisiana, um, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough challenge. And there's not a whole lot happening in the way of clean energy jobs and unions have a tough time kind of making headway in that region uh, compared to other parts of the country. And so um, making that environmental justice argument um, is very difficult, but also, um, you know, it kind of beats that definition of environmental justice in, in another sense because you have these communities that have been dealing with this industry for such a long time. And that's why I think it's a really interesting policy question for regulators. Well, let's give the last word to Rochetta Ozane. She's uh, another environmental activist who you spoke to, and she 
summarized it exactly where she said, you know, we want clean energy. We want renewable energy jobs, but they have to be good jobs. They have to be reunion jobs. Let's hear from her. And we need to show people proof that water uh, energy and solar energy and wind energy, we actually, we sh- I need to show people proof that it works and that the same people that go and get the training to work in the industries are the same folks that could work in these jobs. But they have to be good paying jobs and they have to be unionized jobs so that people would even be interested in switching. But we don't even have that to offer folks right now. So we are not at the point of shutting down anything or stopping anything from coming because all people see is that you're trying to stop jobs from coming here. Yeah, because we don't have anything to offer to replace it. All right, that was Rochetta Ozane, an environmental activist in Louisiana. And also that was Daniel Moore, a Bloomberg Law reporter here talking about his trip to the Gulf Coast. Thank you, Daniel, for uh, talking with us. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment. I'm at David B. Schultz. That's B as in laissez le bon temps rouler. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. The killers of Berta Caceres had every reason to believe they'd get away with murder. Her work as an environmental activist won her the admiration of celebrities in California, politicians in Washington, and the indigenous communities she worked alongside in Honduras. It also earned her powerful enemies. On a new podcast from Bloomberg Green, Blood River follows a four-year quest to find Berta Caceres' killers. Join journalist Monty Real and the team from Bloomberg Green as they untangle false leads and mishandled evidence, taking listeners deep into a sector of international development that's marked by high-level corruption and rampant violence. Blood River debuts Monday, July 27th on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.